0: Dr. Steve Wages is a professor of Family Studies and director of the Cloverdale Center for Youth and Family at Faulkner University here in Montgomery. Dr. Wages obtained a Master of Marriage and Family Therapy degree from Abilene Christian University in Texas and a Ph.D. in Family, Child and Consumer Sciences from Florida State University. He is certified as a Family Life Educator by the National Council on Family Relations and was the 2015 recipient of the prestigious Moore Bowman Award for outstanding and continuing support of family well-being in the state of Texas. Dr. Wages is a frequent speaker on topics designed to strengthen marriage and family life, including the DNA of a sacred marriage, the emotional roller coaster of parenting, and God's design for human intimacy. Please welcome Dr. Steve Wages.
1: Okay, welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me today. I, uh, two of my favorite philosophers, if I can get my PowerPoints. Where are my PowerPoints? There we go. Two of my favorite ph- philosophers are Calvin and his sidekick Hobbes. You probably know them. They were standing on the sidewalk one day. Calvin says, let's say life is, is this square, of the sidewalk. We're we're at this crack and we, we die. We're born at this crack. We die at that crack. Now we find ourselves moving through from the beginning, one crack to the other crack. And he goes on to say, is our quick experience here pointless? Does anything we say or do here really matter? Have we done anything important? Have we been happy Have we made the most of these precious few footsteps? And they stand and they ponder those questions as the night falls. And I suggest that you and I ponder those same questions. It might be on an early morning walk. It might be while we're driving down the interstate. And how we answer those questions says a lot about our mental health. Have we done anything here that really matters? I tell my students, relationships really matter. In the beginning, God created us as relationship beings, called us into relationship with one another, called us into relationship with God, and relationships have been a place of spiritual warfare ever since. Isn't it true that our very high points in life, our greatest of joys will be in relationships and our greatest of sorrows will be in relationships? So I pre- appreciate Fraser Church having a component of this mental health day that's focused on relationships. Our greatest sense of purpose, our, our sense of being needed and valued is are in relationships and we would also say our greatest sense of heartache, our greatest sense of betrayals are in relationships. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Our relationships have a great influence on our mental health and well-being. I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and I remember in 2005 after Hurricane Katrina had come through and devastated Louisiana Mississippi and parts of Alabama. I was living in Texas. I was looking forward to getting back home and seeing firsthand the devastation and when I made a trip back home I drove down to the beach front and I saw a house that looked like this and it had very much weathered the storm well and as I looked at other houses I saw the aftermath of, of a house like this that where water had come in, and they had wet carpets still out by the street. They had uh, tarp, tarpaulins on the rooftop, and you knew that they had considerable remodeling to do, maintenance to do. And this is a picture I took of a house on the Mississippi Coast beachfront, where the roof had collapsed down to the slab and the most obvious question that you and i would ask as we look at that is what i wonder if they're going to what rebuild and i couldn't help but think metaphorically being a student of marriage and families how these houses really reflect our homes our marriages and more broadly our relationships There are those marriages and relationships that we need to celebrate. They bring great joy to our lives. They give us considerable strength day by day. And then there are those relationships that maybe are much like this house where, hey, structurally it's sound. We're committed to one another, but we know we need some maintenance, don't we? We're not satisfied with where we are. It might be in our marriage. It might be in a relationship with a child or an important friendship you have. And then perhaps there are those relationships that have been shaken to their very foundation. And the question is, will we rebuild? Ezra 9, 8 through 9 Speaks, And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival. Yet our God did not forsake us, but he extended mercy to us to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild. You know the story. The Israelites not only needed to rebuild their city... They not only needed to rebuild their temple, they needed to rebuild their lives as God's holy people. Amen? Our God is a God of renewal. Our God is a God of transformation. Our God is a God of hope. And so I suggest to you from Ezra, and though your marriage, or though your relationship may be with a child or a friend or someone, or perhaps even your relationship with God, may it, maybe it's only a remnant of what it was. God can give light unto your eyes and grant you new life to rebuild your house. Our God is a God of renewal. Our God is a God of hope. So I like to talk and think in terms of the DNA of a sacred marriage. A sacred marriage equips you to love your God more, helps you reflect the character of his son more precisely, and demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, you're going to see this symbol in a few places today, and I want to tell you what I mean by that. I'm talking about, when you see this symbol, I'm talking about qualities that you and I pursue, we possess, and we perfect in our lives because of, out of a, out of our love for God, our desire to imitate the character of His Son more precisely and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Is that clear? I'm not just talking about a list of strategies or ideas. I'm not talking about something you might say, well, I'm good at that, but I'm not good at that, so I'm not... Or, my spouse doesn't deserve that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about qualities that you pursue, you possess, and you perfect in your life because it is part of your spiritual DNA. You with me? I have a curiosity about relationships, I have a curiosity of how a couple chooses one another. Like if you met my lovely wife, Wanda, you would say, I wonder how she ended up with a crustacean like him, right? You know, I have a curiosity about how people choose one another, but I'm here to tell you I also have a curiosity about what leads people apart over time. How they grow apart over time. How we pledge our love to one another for a lifetime. And then seven years, ten years down the road, we can hardly stand to be in one another's presence. And so I typically talk about six factors that are predictive of couples growing apart over time. And we don't don't have time for that today, but I would suggest this to you. Bill Crawford said, unless you grow and change together... You will change and grow apart. And I think that's true. So I only have time to maybe do a few of these today. And so I pulled out a few that I thought, well, maybe relate most closely to mental health and well being. And so we we can't ease in, we're going to get serious rather quickly. Most marriages, relationships, again, maybe a parent-child relationship, a friendship of yours, soon encounters what I call the flaw factor. It's not easy. In fact, it's harder than you thought it would be. You, you vow to love them unconditionally, but you do not know just how imperfect he or she is. In fact. In fact, you soon discover that marriage, marriage involves two imperfect people entering into a committed relationship, diligently pursuing intimacy under the rule of God. See, mine is an imperfect love for Wanda, and Wanda's is an imperfect love for me. You, you soon discover that you have different sin natures, That spiritual warfare began in the garden, it's alive and well today. Amen? Such as the story of Eric and Angela. See, he was her knight in shining armor, a good and godly man. But it wasn't long into their marriage that he came to her and confessed Eric and I had been married a few years and everything seemed to be going well. Then one day, completely unexpected, Eric confessed to me that he struggled with pornography for most of his life, including since we had been married. The feeling of shock and disbelief, I had quickly turned to hurt and anger. She goes on to say, how could he have done this to me? As the shock wore off, I carried feelings of numbness, hurt, anger and shame, all at the same time. I was a mess. A couple of years went by, and I had managed my feelings by denying them. I hoped I could keep porn away from Eric and he away from porn if I prayed hard enough. Of course, it's always great to pray, but let's just say that I was using prayer as a Band-Aid to hide my deep wounds. Our marriage went on to have a great healing as we both worked on recovery. Wow. How many of you can relate, maybe know of someone who has a real story of being hurt deeply, wounded in relationships, perhaps betrayal, And maybe I'm leaning on the guys for a moment, but guess what? Women do things that are pretty hurtful too, don't they? I like this quote. When we expect perfection out of marriage or any relationship, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. Marriage means tortuous work and a predictable routine. That's what you should expect. Indeed, a successful marriage has little to do with sustained bliss and everything to do with surrendering to the grind. Hey, I hope it's not quite that. I hope it's a little better than that. But I would say the author's point is well taken, right? We marry and we don't realize just how incredibly flawed they, they are. And our relationship in marriage or with a child or friendship at some point comes face-to-face with spiritual warfare. What do you do when you've been hurt so deeply? I'm going to suggest to you we pursue, possess, and perfect forgiveness as a quality in our lives. Forgiveness. I would suggest to you that to remodel a marriage, to rebuild a marriage, to remodel, rebuild a relationship with a a wayward child perhaps, or friendship, oftentimes needs to begin with forgiveness. Yes, you say, But how do you forgive when you've been hurt so deeply? How do you forgive when you have been betrayed? When you've been wounded? I don't know any other place to go than the cross. When the question is how do you forgive the unforgivable? How do you love the unlovable? I don't know where you find the strength where you find the power to do that beyond your personal identification with the cross. I'm often reminded that Jesus was crucified by those who were supposed to love him the most. Jesus was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. He was betrayed by his own people. And I'm here to say that most of us in our lifetimes... Have had those moments of greatest hurt at the hands of those who were supposed to love us the most. Where do we find the power to forgive? The power to extend grace. It's in the message of the cross. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me that's saying as believers you and I take up our cross daily now I'm here I've got a confession to make I, I want to be a Christian I just don't like being crucified amen hey I'm all about being a Christian I just don't like being nailed to a cross and I believe scripture is saying hey you and I may be nailed to a cross just like Jesus by those who are supposed to love us the most. Where do you find the power to forgive the unforgivable, to love the unlovable? I, I, I know uh, no other place you find it than words spoken from a cross. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And there may be those moments in your life. Where you have to identify with the power of words spoken from a cross and look at those who are supposed to love you the most. Say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Amen. Listen to me. Jesus stretched forth his hands and he forgave them. And he empowers us to forgive and extend grace unto others. Uh, Gordon MacDonald, I used this quote with a young couple one time facing a similar story as Eric and Angela. He says, can I devote myself to a person who is far from perfect but who wants to share a common life with me? Well, I choose to love a person because he or she is perfect or because he or she is through and through who he is. Real devotion begins the day I accept my husband, my wife, as a wonderful, lovable sinner. Now, let me be clear. In the story of Eric and Angela, you say, well, aren't you letting him get away with sin? No, you know you won't get away with sin. It will destroy your marriage. So we're going to have to deal with sin. But can I come to see him or her who hurts me the most as a wonderful lovable sinner. I have written in my Bible at a certain place, if God can save me by grace, I can live with Wanda by grace. Amen? Hey, listen to me a moment. We're talking about forgiving others. Could we pause a moment and say, hey, I know those who are tormented mentally, by memories, by feelings of guilt and shame, who need to extend grace and forgiveness to themselves. Uh, I like to tell folks, if you knew about me, what I know about me, you wouldn't be here today. But if I knew about you, what you know about you, we wouldn't let you in, so it's all the same. (laughs) Amen? We're we're all sinners. We're we're all sinners. So it's all the same. We're all wonderful, lovable sinners. I uh, I like how my friend Cecil May says it. Sin will take you places you never intended to go. Sin will keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. Oh, we need to extend grace and forgiveness to others, but listen to me. Can I see myself as a wonderful, lovable sinner? Can I see me, myself, as God sees me looking at me through a cross? And if God can save me by grace, listen, if God can save me by grace, and I live with me by grace. Amen? Family solidarity takes hard work, much imagination and constant self-criticism on the part of all the members. A successful marriage is not one in which two people beautifully matched find each other and get along happily ever after. It is instead a means by which persons who are sinful and contentious sound like anybody you know it is instead a means by which persons who are sinful and contentious are so caught by a dream bigger than themselves that they work throughout the years in spite of repeated disappointment to make the dream come true hey what's what's the dream may i suggest to you the dream of a holy life, the dream of a greater commitment to being more like Jesus. I suggest to you that God is far more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Maybe all the struggle and strife in marriage and relationships is God's crucible to mold us and shape us into a more righteous people it leads us to the change factor. That's just the way I am. I was living in Tallahassee, Florida. had a couple come see me, session one. She was requesting change, what I thought was a legitimate request. She asked him to be more affectionate towards her. They had been married about eight years, and uh, and so she was wanting more emotional bonding and closeness and... Expressions of affection and words and touch and such. He was a prison guard. Not to stereotype, but he was like five foot three by four foot six. That's, that's a true story. He looked the part of a prison guard. I'll never forget what he said. She made a legitimate request for change. I'd like him to be more affectionate towards me. He looked at her and he said... Uh, Well, you came from a family that was real touchy-feely, kind of affectionate and such, but you know I did not. I wasn't particularly affectionate to you before we got married. We've been married for eight years now, and uh, it hasn't seemed to be a problem until now. Notice something here. Was it a, a knowledge issue for him? It wasn't a knowledge issue. See, he knew that he hadn't been affectionate over all this time. If it's not a knowledge issue, what kind of issue is it? It's a heart issue. Hey, I wasn't affectionate before we got married. I haven't been particularly affectionate for eight years. He knew that. And then he looked at her, and the words I'll, this is a quote, he looked at her. He says, I'm not very affectionate, and that's just the way I am. How about that? The change factor. That's just the way I am. Well, that was session one. I don't know what you would have said to them at that moment, but as I recall, I think I said something about like this. I hope I said it a little nicer than this, maybe. I said something like, don't give me, that's just the way I am. As best I recall, God is the only I am. God is the only I am being. The rest of us are called to become something other than what we are. Don't tell me that's just the way I am. And I will suggest that perhaps some of our struggle with mental health at times is that we have bought into the devil's lie that that's just the way I am. I don't mean to sound too preachy, but I'm not a preacher. (laughs) <laughs> Malachi 3, 2 through 3 is one of my favorite passages. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them with gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and what? Righteousness. They will be a holy people. And this passage says God is a refining fire. He is a launderer soap, And I suggest to you that marriage and all the struggle of it or your relationship with a wayward child or friend, all the struggle of conflict in relationships, God intends to be a crucible in our lives to mold us and shape us into a righteous and holy people. How did they use a crucible? They would put gold or silver in a crucible, an instrument, and they'd subject it to intense heat. And it would melt, and the impurities would do what? They would rise to the top, and they would skim away the impurities, and that's how they purified gold and silver. And Scripture says God is a refining fire. He is all about molding us and shaping us into a righteous and holy people if we're willing to be transformed. Look at Scripture here. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know what Scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How are we transformed? We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my what? Thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Hey, could I paraphrase, edit Scripture a little? Point out anything in me that offends Wanda. Point out anything that... In me that offends my daughter, my son. Point out anything in me that offends what was once my best friend, perhaps. Point out in me, look at this. I will give you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Oh, does that sound like mental health? I will give you a new heart. I know people struggling, some very close to me right now, who are struggling with mental health, much of what we talked about in our first session. Depression, anxiety. And yes, I do believe God can transform and walk with us on that journey as was described earlier. I will give you what? A new heart a heart of peace, a heart of security. I will remove from you your heart of stone, your heart of fear, and give you a heart of flesh. Yes, I think marriage and relationships are God's crucible for molding us and shaping us into a holy and righteous people. I like to say it this way. In the struggles of relationships, of marriage, all the conflict and tension, if you're willing to be transformed, watch this. If you're selfish, God will teach you to be unselfish and benevolent. If you're controlling, God will teach you to be submissive. If you're prideful, God will teach you to be humble. If you're stubborn, God will show you how to be yielding and reasonable. If you're irresponsible, God will show you how to be accountable and trustworthy. If you're impatient, God will show you how to be accommodating and long-suffering with others. If you're uncaring, God will show you how to be compassionate and kind. If you're unfair, God will show you how to be impartial. If you're disagreeable, anybody here? If you're just disagreeable... God will show you how to be more agreeable. But it takes a willingness to be transformed. Don't give me. That's just the way I am. The state of marriage is one that requires more virtue and constancy than any other. In spite of the bitter nature of its juice, you may be able to draw and make the honey of a holy life. See, I think God's far more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Yeah, I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy in your marriage. But God's far more concerned about your holiness as a couple than your happiness. Dr. Kathy Carpenter said, God worked in my life to change attitudes of bitterness, embarrassment, and resentment into attitudes of what? Grace, love, and hope. These new attitudes developed out of pain, self-sacrifice, and a little creativity. God accomplished this by walking with me through the hard times I longed to control, but could not. Oh, our God is a God of renewal. Our God is a God of transformation. Our God is a God of hope. Hey, we're talking about change and transformation let's play a little family feud okay maybe you help me fill in the blanks here top six answers on the board why do people resist change we choose to blank instead and there's a lot of good ones you could put in here let me hear from some of you we choose to do what instead we choose to quit instead Say that again. Stay the same. We, we choose to stay the same. Just That's just the way I am. We choose to blame instead. That'd be a good one. What else? We, we choose to argue instead. Any of the others? Last call. <laughs> How about this one? We choose to complain instead. <laughs> Don't we? We'd rather complain instead. And we have a network people of people who we can complain with, right? Uh, we call it commiserating. There's a word for it. It is the company of the miserable. We will, we will empathize with one another, and we would rather talk about it and complain about it and commiserate rather than really get down to changing instead how about number five we would rather be blank than uncomfortable we'd rather be right than uncomfortable i like that anything else we'd rather be safe than uncomfortable i like that uh final answer we would rather be unhappy than uncomfortable isn't that so true It's like, hey, yeah, I know I need to drop 25 pounds. Well, at least. (laughs) But I'd rather be unhappy than uncomfortable. See, I'm unhappy being overweight. I'm uncomfortable getting up at 5 o'clock and going to the gym. I'm uncomfortable pushing myself away from the dinner table. They do call it comfort food for a reason, (laughs) right? Right? but i'd rather be unhappy than uncomfortable hey it's uncomfortable for me to talk to you about that i'd rather just continue to be unhappy right how about number 4 we would rather focus on the symptom rather than the rather than the solution i like that we would rather focus on the symptom than forgiveness i like that the what The root, yes, I'd rather focus on the symptom, what's up here, than the real problem, what's below the surface, which oftentimes has much more to do with what? My heart, my character. Something about me that maybe I need to look at, I need to change, right? All right, let's try a few more. We don't feel enough what yet? Yeah, I think that's true sometimes. We don't feel enough pain yet. We don't hurt enough yet. Uh, Dave Ramsey, you may have heard him. He tells that story about saving. Like, hey, we talk about how difficult it is to make ends meet, right? And what ends we make meet. And uh, But he, he talks about having a difficult time saving, right? And then he, his analogy story is, well, what if you had a child that was diagnosed with uh, some disease and and you had to have $10,000 for this treatment this shot by the end of this year do you think you could save $10,000 and most folks would say yeah if I got to eat red beans and rice or whatever uh, I'm going to save $10,000 we don't hurt enough yet sometimes how about number two I'd rather change than change me I'd rather change what? <laughs> anything, anything else other than, I'd rather change anything else than change me. Isn't it so true that I'd rather change you than change me? And I think that's where we really get off track sometimes. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you notice what happened in the Garden of Eden uh, with the fall there and, 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 and God confronts Adam and Eve? And what does Eve do? She points over at the serpent. What does Adam do? He points over at Eve. Isn't it very much human nature to say, hey, I'd rather change you than change me. I've got this button, and when you do that, you push my button. And so what do we do? We'll go around trying to control everybody to keep our button from being pushed. Isn't that true? That's real life. And I think it would be helpful sometimes if they would stop pushing our button but when your emotions are dependent upon what someone else does you're in for a slippery slope so if i could just stop getting you i'm tempted to tell a story on my lovely wife but she's kind of encouraged me not to do that so uh i will i will honor her request but isn't it true that hey we've got this button. And when my button gets pushed, I have all kinds of an emotional response to it. And if I could just control you and keep you from pushing my button, I'd be okay. That's a slippery slope. So, uh, yeah, I'd rather change you than change me. And then last but not least, we tried to do it on our own. Isn't that true? Well, wow. so many try to do it on their own. And I would suggest to you, I think men are particularly inclined to isolate themselves, to go it alone, whatever their struggle is, to wear their mask, to go it alone, do it on their own. Now, let me close with uh, saying this. I believe Fraser Church is hosting an event like this today because they don't want you to go it alone. I appreciated what was said in our first segment about taking someone to some, referring someone to help. Uh, I like to call that take someone to the inn. It's like the good Samaritan came along, and what did he do? He took him to an inn. And there are times in people's lives where, yes, you don't have all the answers, you don't have all the solutions, but you can walk along beside them, you can be an encourager in their lives, and guess what? You can take them to the inn where they don't have to go alone. Thank you for this time, and I want to encourage you in your relationships, all, that your relationships will be blessed by the power, the strength of forgiveness, that your life will be changed by God who's willing and able to transform, amen?